Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, once again, for joining me here tonight on Golf Talk Live. Very excited. I'm uh, going to be starting off, as mentioned, uh, with uh, another Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined um, by my very special guest, uh, Meredith Kirk. She's a creative media, media consultant and an LPGA teacher professional. Uh, she's going to be joining me uh, on the second half of the show. Actually, she was uh, originally scheduled in September and unfortunately ran into some technical issues and weren't able to do it then. And we rescheduled for October and uh, a hurricane uh, went through her neck of the woods. So she had to uh, very uh, uh, graciously had to back out and obviously uh, justifiably so. So uh, I've managed to reschedule for tonight and she uh, we talked earlier today and she assured me she's going to make it for the show. So uh, no storms in the area. And uh, so far, no technical issues. So I'm very excited to have her on the show. Um, just a quick reminder, golfswing.com is sponsoring, once again, the Coach's Corner panel segment here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, golfswing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Uh, together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. And don't forget uh, to enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout uh, when you visit their site and get 50% off the subscription price. I can guarantee you it's well worth it. So um, thanks again to GolfSwing.com. And at the end of the show, if you visit them, enter GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout and get 50% off the subscription price. All right, I'm going to introduce um, one of the uh, panelists, uh, and then I'll explain why I'm doing it that way. Joining me tonight is Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and the 2017 and 18 Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year, as well as the 2015 Illinois PGA Professional of the Year. Uh, he's also the owner, director of instruction uh, for the Golf Solutions Academy in Belmoral Woods in Crate, Illinois. Uh, and also in the winter months, you'll find him down at the Grand Palms Resort in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Uh, also going to be joining me, uh, she's not on board yet, but uh, on the show is going to be Jane, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's an instructor, body worker, and consultant. She's also an Aikido six-degree black belt and a Class A LPJ teach professional, a corporate and conference speaker, uh, executive trainer and coach. Uh, she's a speaker for Visage International and TEC Canada, which is the executive committee. Uh, rounding up the panel was going to be Paul Castor. Unfortunately, he uh, contacted me just a little while ago, and he's been uh, feeling a little bit under the weather here uh, for the last several days, in fact, through the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, and he's not been able to shake it very well. So he's not going to join us tonight. He's, uh, uh, as I said, not feeling too well. So, uh, Paul, we hope you feel better and look forward to you joining us uh, in the next season uh, here on uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, but let me bring out uh, Bill, and uh, I'll keep an eye out for Jamie and, and uh, bring her on when she joins us. So, Bill, thank you very much for joining me here on Coach's Corner. Hey, thanks for having me, Ted. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Well, I appreciate it. And 
we may end up uh, batching it tonight. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see if, if uh, it could be a time difference. I know Jamie's uh, out on the uh, West Coast, so she may have gotten mixed up again with the time. I'm not sure. But uh, anyways, uh, I'll keep an eye out for her, and, and I'll bring her on. But uh, in the meantime, let me, uh, let me just start with you here, and, and uh, we'll try to do our best to have a good discussion here on Coach's Corner. Um, I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to sort of reflect, if you will, back on the season uh, for you and, and maybe just give an idea of maybe some of your, remembering some of your best moments as a professional in 2019. What were some of the, the things that really stuck out for you this season that uh, really um, sort of gave you a, an overall feeling that, hey, this was a great year for me? Um, I, you know, I really think in the end is um, the satisfaction and exceeding the expectations of the players, I think is really the biggest thing as a coach we can strive to do. And I really feel this, this year and with every lesson, with every year, I feel like I become a better instructor all the time, gleaning from my students as well as um, any information that I get and, and work to become a better, better, better instructor overall. And uh, I had some really high points. I have a young lady that's playing uh, number one for Notre Dame, Lauren Boudreau, who uh, she got to the top eight in the uh, USGA girls uh, made top 32 in the um, USGA Women's AM and top 16 in the Women's Western. And she had a, uh, a uh, I don't know if it was a YouTube, I believe it was a YouTube video and on Twitter that over 350,000 people saw in the, in the Women's AM where she uh, made an up and down out of the water um, playing Alexa Pano. Oh, wow. Very, very, very cool. Um when you look over the, the, the season, Bill, and obviously there's moments like that that, that stick out, um, what specifically, the, you mentioned a moment ago that you, know, you feel that you're learning, obviously, as each season passes. What specifically do you think that you uh, learned this season? Well, I, you know, I, I think, again, being mindful of your students is something that we need to do as instructors. We have to understand, number one, how they interpret information, and how they understand it best and initially. And I feel when we, when we improve our ability to do that and really can delve into the mind of a player, um, you can help them not only because we can't control our thoughts, but we can select the way that we're going to react to the thoughts. And I feel that's a very, very big thing as an instructor. When we can help players understand themselves better, then they're going to understand the information better and become – um, a much, much, much better, much more solid player, whether it's a club level player or, a, you know, somebody competing on a national level. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things, Bill, that I've always noticed is, and, and what I really look for is sort of those benchmarks of improvement. You know, I look at obviously, um, you know, first and foremost, are they getting, um, and understanding the uh, fundamentals that we're teaching them, especially with new students, obviously I'm, I'm mainly referring to at this point, you know, we want to make sure that they understand and that they're able to develop a general skill set as far as the, the fundamentals are concerned. And, and I think that once they've got that and are able to grasp the basic concepts of grip, you know, posture and, and ball position and things like that, and obviously they're, they're going to adjust accordingly for, uh, as, as we know, each player is different, but, Overall, you know, they get a general understanding of, of those areas. 
once they do that, it's really about teaching them how to play the game and how to put it all together. Would you agree with that? And if so, maybe talk a little bit about that. Absolutely, Ted. And, you know, I think that's something we've lost a little bit with the age of technology is the art of playing the game of golf. Um, you know, the measurement that technology gives us is fabulous. But what we do with that measurement is an entirely a different matter. We have to be able to have measured practice, whether it's a little contest, a gamification of practice. I think those things are so key to helping a player, you know, that's striving to become the best they can understand it and be able to improve dramatically. And I think that measurement is, is, a, is a big key to allowing them to practice and uh, play their best. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and, and, you know, the reason why I ask that is, you know, often we look, and, and I think we're all kind of guilty in, in our line of work of, of doing this from time to time. And, you know, we tend to measure them based on the fundamentals, you know, are they, or, or their ball striking ability. And a lot of times I think over the years, now we're certainly, you know, the trend is changing now and has for the last several years, but we're getting more of helping them out on the golf course, helping them to understand how to put all that together. I think too many players particularly have focused on, on how well they hit the ball as their, as their most important uh, concern and not really uh, emphasizing on how they play and how they put it all together, as I mentioned. And that's something that we obviously have to teach them as well. And they're going to, through their own trial and error, of course, uh, are going to uh, succeed and, and, uh, and improve as time goes on. But uh, ultimately, I think that they've, they've got to quit spending so much time out in the range tinkering with their golf swing. Um, they're looking for that, that perfection. And as you and I, Bill, both know that that just doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a, a perfect uh, golf swing. It's whatever works for you. Um, so when you're dealing with a student in that particular case, and I want to get your thoughts on this. When you're dealing with, with somebody who you have seen and watched over the years and they're spending a lot of time out in the range, you know, meddling, if you will, tinkering around with things and not really focusing on some of the, the, the main things that they need to be focusing on, how do you, what, what's the discussion that you have with them and how do you get them on the right path from there? Well, I think one of the things we need to do is when, we're, when they're practicing, we have to change it up a little bit. If they're, when they're doing their block practice, we have to make the drills and the achievements that they measure much more difficult than they are on the golf course. Um, say, for instance, I'm work, we're working on middle iron approaches. We'll take a couple of alignment sticks and put them about a foot apart and have the player set up maybe five yards behind it and strike the ball between the sticks. Then we narrow it a little bit to about nine inches. So in other words, what the player is doing is basically practicing in a more difficult situation than they're going to find themselves on the course. And I find that that's right. very, very helpful in allowing them to, to really be able to excel on the golf course as opposed to just sitting there and block practicing and hitting balls. The second part of that is a gamification of practice. So we have some measurement. Something as simple as hitting five pitch shots on the side of the golf course uh, by the side of the green, pitching the ball up to the hole, take the longest one and the shortest one away and see what your average is and work on getting that average much closer to the hole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's important that we have um, sort of create an objective, if you will, for, for the students to work with and, and something for them, uh, give them a, again, a benchmark 
uh, of things for them to attain and be able to do. Um, one of the other things too that that you know we often find with many of our students is, you know, uh, and we've talked about this many many times on the show, and we've all heard this probably uh, at least a million times. You know, how do I take my range game out in the golf course? And I think one of the issues, and we've talked uh, here on the show many, many times over the years, or I have rather, with um, many, many mental coaches and, um, and so forth. And one of the things that I think a lot of them have stumbled across is that there's a lot of clutter going on in the player's head. And that differentiates, as you know, with, with how the pros uh, approach things. And what ends up happening is they're not only, you know, focusing on, you know, making sure they've got all the fundamentals right and, and running the, the numbers, if you will, through their head, but they're focusing on all of the mishaps and the missed shots that they've had over uh, many, many years. So when you get a student, especially, uh, you know, a new student's a little bit easier that maybe hasn't played golf before, but when you've got somebody that's maybe playing for a number of years, they've now come to you as a coach or as a teaching professional and said, you know, Bill, I, I want to work with you. I've heard some good things, um, but I got a lot going on upstairs here. I'm not sure how to how to sort of organize uh, the filing cabinet, if you will. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you do to a player like that to sort of unclutter uh, and get things uh, in proper perspective? Well, one of the first areas we go, and I'll simply ask him, what shot creates the most anxiety with you? Whether it's a 140-yard shot over water a 30-yard pitch shot over sand, and then work from there. Basically go to the thing that, that worries them the most. Then we have to build in some things looking at their ability to hit shots. You know, not every shot is going to be perfect, but we need it to be effective. And I think one of the problems is people get very, very hard on themselves when the shot isn't perfect. I really work to gamify practice as much as I can and make it very similar to the way they're playing the game and maybe even a little more difficult than the way they play the game. So mentally they're going to be prepared when they get on the golf course and have a shot that may create some anxiety with them. I've hit this a hundred times and I've hit it out of a sand divot. So it's not a problem. I can hit this shot and I know I can hit this shot. That's a problem. I think a lot of people do is when they practice, they end up just blocking and hitting shot after shot after shot without really changing the situation and creating a little bit more of an on-course experience for themselves. That really is a, is a big issue that I see. I mean, I've seen people that pound balls, pound balls, pound balls on the range, and they go to the golf course, and they really aren't able to do it when they get to the golf course. And I think that's where you have to change your mindset a little bit and really be aware of, of the situation you're in and find out a way to not – be so anxious over it. And one of the simple things that I do with players over time when we're practicing, I'll have them hit five shots on the range with five different clubs, and I need them to comment to me something they liked about the shot, what they liked about the shot. Because so often we're so tough on ourselves, you know, somebody wanted to hit a fade and the ball drew. Well, tell me something you liked about that shot. Well, the trajectory was fine, and it was only a little left. You know, things like that. Because there's always something good about a shot. You either set up good, you hit it straight, um, you know, you got good distance out of it. You can find something good about every shot you hit. And when I find that happens, players really, really, really begin to thrive because they're not worried so much about what went wrong. They're focusing more on what's going right. 
Yeah, and, and you raised a really interesting point, Bill, and, and that is, you know, the, sort of um, you become what you speak. And if, if, you, if you're thinking about negative thoughts all the time or you're looking at, um, you know, your golf shot or even the hole that you've just played only from the negative side of it, then you're ingraining for future um, situations, you're ingraining a negative pattern. And, you know, a, a lot of experts have talked about how, you know, for every negative thought, you need at least five positive thoughts to sort of counter that. So, you know, I'm wondering if maybe a, a way for players to approach this is to, you know, obviously we want them to sort of analyze their game, is to take, you know, their game and maybe start off something simple with, their, with you know, each hole and analyze the hole, how they played that hole and what was one of the, you know, the areas that gave them the most trouble. Like you said, maybe it was a specific shot in that hole that, that just didn't come out the way they wanted it, but find you know, five or six or more good things about that hole uh, to reinforce that positive uh, notion. What are your thoughts there and, and about doing something like that uh, with a player? I think that's a fantastic uh, way to start out. One of the things that I'll continually do with players, so often a player will say, and this probably happens to you too, Ted, what did I do wrong there? They'll hit a poor shot on the range. What did I do wrong there? I reverse it. I said, no, what do we need to do to make that shot successful? And I basically right. take a negative and turn it into a positive. Say they're hanging back on their a right-handed players, hanging back on their right leg a little bit, not getting forward. I said, okay, what makes a shot successful for you? When I get to my forward leg and I can stick the finish. Okay. That didn't happen there. So instead of looking at the negative, we're jumping over that negative step, looking for what's wrong and focusing on what they need to do, that singular focus, to make that shot a successful one. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's um, you know, a, a great way to put it, and I, I agree with you 100%. Um, and I see, actually, Bill um, has just uh, dropped off here, so I'll wait for him to call back. But, you know, he raises a, a great point. You know, you want to take, um, you know, a situation where if, if somebody has maybe played a bad hole or even played a bad shot is you want to approach it from a more positive uh, perspective, as opposed to uh, focusing on the negative aspects and turning. And as Bill said, turning that negative back into a, a positive. And uh, I'm going to turn this into a positive bill. I know that you dropped off the call. So <laughs> welcome back. I'm back. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened there. I think I tried to hit mute and <laughs> something happened. It's big fat fingers. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Um, but obviously your point got through fine uh, before the call got dropped. So I think the, the listeners obviously, um, you know, understood exactly your point you're making. And, and I just basically added that, you know, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think that, you know, we have to, you know, as, as golf coaches and teachers, we have to take the circumstances that our players find themselves in, whether it be a bad shot or whether it be even a bad hole and look at it from a positive perspective and not, well, what did I do wrong? Um, but what can I do differently to make it a more successful hole next time or on the next uh, hole or shot that we might be playing? How can I now turn that into um, a learning experience? And I think this is what really traps a lot of people as they get into this and it starts off maybe with a bad shot, then it becomes a bad hole, then it becomes, you know, uh, a bad couple of holes. Next thing you know, the front nine's not so good. Now the back nine 
they're not even looking forward to anymore. They're just like they've got their eye on the clubhouse. Let's let's get me off the course and and you know just be done with this round. And you know we've got to find a way. And Bill, you know this too, working with with higher caliber players, that what they will do is they will sort of form a a compartment, if you will, around that negative shot, and they will basically just you know throw it out the window. They won't focus on that and they'll take it out of their thought process. So now they're on to the next hole. And this is something that I think a lot of um, junior players and uh, even players that have, that have been around for a little while get into this habit of they keep all that stuff in their head and they're taking it out in the golf course with them. And that's something I think that we have to start uh, really focusing on here um, with, with our students. Um, another area too is, you know, we come across quite often, Bill, as uh, at least I do, and I'm sure you have as well, where, you know, we can explain things a, a number of different ways. Um, and I'm sure you've had situations, maybe you can talk about one or two of them, where, you know, you've done everything you think you can do, um, but they just didn't seem to get it or understand, um, whether it be a concept or what have you. Is there anything that you can think of um, that maybe you could have done differently or maybe approach the circumstances a little bit differently in order to turn that around? Yeah, Ted, that's an interesting question because I think that's one of the conundrums that instructors run into, um, you know, communicating to players. We have to communicate to them in the way they initially pick up information. Um, I do something very simple, and it's a bit of a spinoff what uh, – Pia Nilsson and Lynn Marriott do in 54. I, um, mm-hmm. I have a player hit three balls with three different thought process. The first three, I ask them to hit little 10-yard pitches with their pitching wedge, holding the club as light as they can consistently through the shot. The second three, I ask them to listen for the sound of the club brushing the grass and the impact of the ball. The next three, I ask them to visualize and see the ball fly where they want to. Right away, you can almost as an instructor tell which way they're going to initially interpret things. I'll ask them which way was the most comfortable for you, whether it's visually, audio, or feel. Once we get that going, now it makes it much easier for us to understand how to interpret this with a player because this is the initial way they, they feel, you know, somebody that's a feel player. Albert Einstein was a kinesthetic a kinesthetic initial interpreter. They thought he right. had mental issues when he was a, a young child until they put him in a laboratory and they gave him a piece of chalk and realized he was smarter than everybody else. Um, <laughs> and right. that's one of the ways I think as coaches, we have to be very sensitive and aware of how these players are in, how they're interpreting all the information. Because if we present it in a visual manner, and this is a kinesthetic a person that kinesthetically initially interprets things, it's never going to get through to them. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because, and, and they're starting to discover this now in school with, with kids. I mean, obviously, um, you know, they're, uh, especially with, with the onset of, of autism and things like that, you know, they're, they're discovering that, you know, even though some of these kids are having challenges in one area, they're extremely intelligent in other ways. And they're, they're discovering that, you know, using visual cues or visual tools are able to get through. And the same thing applies with golf. I know for myself, um, I'm, I'm a confessed uh, visual person. 
um, you know, you can throw a, a manual in front of me and I can certainly read through it. But at times I find certain things, depending on how, how it's written, um, can be confusing. But if you get up in front of me and you show me this and, or this works that way, um, then I have a much easier time of absorbing that information. So you're exactly spot on. I think as instructors and coaches, I think what we need to do is really, as you said, be sensitive uh, of our players and find out if we're, you know, if we're talking there for 10 or 15 minutes and they're, they're looking like they're confused or not understanding the message that we're relaying to them, then it's very likely that they are somebody that requires certain visual cues, uh, as you suggest. So this is where sometimes, you know, a teacher can sort of throw both in. They can kind of, you know, talk about certain issues and certain points, uh, but maybe actually demonstrate what it is they're talking about so that the student makes sure that they, they can sort of draw the, the, connect the dots, if you will. And, and that's something that uh, I think that sometimes we forget uh, as coaches and teachers. What do you think? Absolutely. And I've had the, the absolute pleasure to work with many autistic children. And I have some, and not necessarily experiment, but I found with children that, that are under that spectrum, so often society and schools talk down to them, and you really have to talk up almost on a higher level. Their level of organization so often is so far ahead of where we're at. And I always ask a question to see how, where they're at. I'll say to one of the children, I say, does it bother you when your mom puts your socks in your drawer and they don't go the way you like them? Oh, yeah. That gives me a cue <laughs> that we have to work a little bit more on a, on a routine that is exactly one, two, three. And what right. I find is a lot of times, you know, people that fall into that spectrum actually have an uber focus. But we, under, we need to figure out how to snap them into that uber focus. And once we do, they, they really can, I mean, perform way above what they ever thought they could. You know, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it comes to mind, you know, you think of players like Mo Norman as an example. You know, to have sort of a, um, a discussion, if you will, about golf, um, you know, he had certain things that he would, he would say, he would repeat, and he had a, a, a great understanding about how to, to, you know, make the ball do what it needed to do. But to talk about virtually anything else, um, he almost came across as disinterested. And I'm sure in some level he was, but a lot of it was it was confusing to him because it's not something that he was able to relate to and understand. And But for some reason, golf just was um, a vessel that he was able to use and communicate very, very effectively. And, you know, he was certainly ranked uh, among one of the best ball strikers to you know, to ever live it, at least thus far. And, you know, even though he did not function normally or what we would anticipate as normally um, in everyday life, uh, he was a definite asset to uh, the golfing industry by some of the, the lessons that he taught and how he was able to really be passionate about it and able to articulate in many ways, believe it or not, um, really how simple golf can be. And I think the majority of people make it very, very confusing. And here's somebody that really, outside of golf, uh, was very um, inadequate in most other areas. But when it came to golf, he was very proficient. And, uh, you know, this just goes to show you that um, everybody is different, everybody learns different, and everybody communicates different. So we, as, as you said, teacher professionals have to find that sort of niche, if you will, on how to get them 
uh, into play. Uh, but but great great points, uh, uh, Bill. Thank you for that. All right, I'm going to bring on uh, Jamie. I see Jamie has uh, come on board here, so I'm going to bring her on, and we'll continue the conversation. Good evening and welcome, yes, Jamie. Hi, How Ted. are you? I'm good. I'm sorry to be late, but uh, glad to join you. No problem. Thank you very much. All right, I'm going to uh, give Bill a break here for just a moment, and uh, I've already introduced uh, both of you, so I've already told everybody uh, a little bit about you as well. Uh, and as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Paul, who was going to join us as well, uh, was a little bit under the weather, so he wasn't able to to come on. So it's just going to be you, Bill, and I tonight. But um, Jamie, let me ask you this, um, and I'll, I'll go back to some of the questions here, Bill, that I asked you. And um, if you want, Jamie, to start off with is to maybe remember some of your best moments here in 2019 as a professional. Obviously, you've maybe got one or two that stick out, um, whether it be teaching and and uh, some of the, the different things that you did uh, throughout the season that really sort of stuck out with you? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, working with a number of women uh, players and uh, getting them fitted for some new clubs. Some of them hadn't been fitted and, you know, came for their lessons with clubs that were like 12, 15 years old which I think is something that happens frequently. And, uh, you know, just to have them get fitted with new clubs and to work on, as you know, the way I I approach golf, really kind of work on a lot of their fundamentals, but from a place of uh, really understanding what what the fundamentals are about in terms of setting up for success, which is what I call it. And and then working on some of the uh, involvement of the lower body, uh, and what I call swing patterning, really getting the uh, sequence of movements in the in the swing correct, combined with clubs that really fit, and getting out on the golf course a lot more uh, with me, and then just out there playing, and it's just been such a joy, you know, to watch them make strides that they they really hadn't been making. So those are a couple that you know those couple students stand out for me. Um, we also have an event every year. It's called Golf in the Kingdom with Michael Murphy, and it's a wonderful fundraising tournament. We played at Harding Park in San Francisco, and it's just been, you know, kind of a joy to see uh, players at different levels and um, people kind of being open-minded, shall we say, to this sort of more holistic, uh, energetic sense of playing golf. And if, if people have read Golf in the Kingdom, it's one of my favorite books. It gives that kind of a mystical side of golf, shall we say. Um, And so at the tournament, we do some fun things. We have a blindfolded golf um, uh, hole. We have a hole where you don't don't talk at all. (laughs) And it's really interesting to watch people, um, you know, in a charity tournament, which is just a lot of fun and joking and all those things, but just no talking. And to watch the kinds of interactions that happen, the, the kind of shift in focus, shall we say. Um, right. We have a hole where you play, you play, uh, um, you putt with uh, a left-handed or right-handed, dependent, uh, you know, which is which is the the way you don't usually play. So that's always really fun to do to mix it up like that. Um, blindfold to have some blindfold putting and uh, even make some blindfold swings. Just these kinds of things where we're really mixing it up. I also had a lot of fun this year working with uh, something that we call the ball <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. in a sense it's like um, I had a student years ago come to me and say you know what the big problem is the golf ball 
it's like I make these great practice swings. I make these, um, you know, swings in my mind. I, but when they put the ball in front of me, I just have trouble. So we started developing a, a approach to practice where we play as if um, the ball is there but without the ball. So in a sense, we're sort of the ball. We get to be the ball. Um, and we go through the entire routine with every shot. Go through your pre-shot routine, uh, key it up, although you don't have a ball, but all the gestures, everything is the same. Make your practice swing, stand up there and swing, no ball. And then you get to decide where the ball's landed. You know, how far your drive was, where it is, go up to your next shot. And we play like two, three holes like that, with, sort of without the ball, in a sense. And, um, right. you know, kind of deciding what happened and getting the experience of what it's like. Uh, for example, what you know, what if you, you decided you hit it in a bunker and you just hit this beautiful bunker shot out and you're on the green and you make it. Or maybe you've got a 40-foot putt you left yourself and you sink it. Right. And then to go and put the ball, of course, um, you know, put the ball in play and play that way. So these have been some really fun things that uh, I've been playing around with this year. Well, and I think that's interesting because it, it gives you an opportunity and, and really it, it goes to a point that, that we were talking about a little bit earlier, uh, Bill and I, and that was really sort of engaging your imagination a little bit on the golf course. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get hung up on the fundamentals of golf and, and focusing on, and certainly those are, are important. Um, but, you know, a lot of times golfers get hung up on those, and that's all they're focusing on. Then when they get out in the golf course, um, they're still thinking about the fundamentals. They're not actually thinking about playing. They're not engaging their imagination and, and uh, you know, sort of working in the moment, um, shot to shot, and, and, you know, being creative on the golf course. And if you look at some of the best players in the world, um, that's exactly what they do is they, their creativity sort of takes over. They're not thinking about swing mechanics when they're out in the golf course. They've already done that. They've worked all the kinks out, if you will, and they're playing with whatever game they've got that day. Now their imagination is kicking in, and they're creating shots uh, based on the situation. So I think that's a very interesting approach that uh, you've, you've talked about, and I think it would make for an interesting event. I want to ask you one more question, and we're going to get Bill uh, back in here as well. Um, and, you know, obviously we have situations, and this was a, a question that we just uh, discussed with um, students that maybe just didn't get it or just didn't understand what it is that you're trying to convey to them. Um, and looking back reflectively, is there something that maybe you could have done differently? And, you know, obviously, and let me just preface this a little bit um, just to help clarify, you know, obviously all students don't learn the same. Some are more visual acute and others, um, you know, you can discuss or describe the, the circumstances and are able to grasp it much easier. But is there, you know, uh, an example maybe that you've had, um, Jamie, where, you know, you've done everything you thought you could do and maybe the students just didn't really seem to grasp it? On reflection, what could you have maybe done differently, do you think? These are really good questions, Ted. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that, you know, I'm trying to think. Um, I always work really hard to be in good communication with my students um, on a very individual basis. So, um, you know, if something doesn't seem to be working, I really try to um, communicate with them and uh, to the best of their ability and my ability to be able to figure out what is it that's not computing and Mm. uh, and then to work with a lot of uh, with a variety of learning modes. So to offer maybe similar kinds of information 
with uh, from a visual point of view or a kinesthetic, a feeling point of view, or you know, sometimes people need you to you know, kind of move their hands or move your body in certain ways. Um, uh, so there's you know the visual, auditory, kinesthetic approaches. There's also kind of left and right brain approaches, and then there's also uh, really mixing it up in some new ways, like being creative, being fun. Um, Sometimes I'll, uh, uh, like, for example, I play a lot of golf catch <laughs> with my students. And so for people who have thrown a ball or um, uh, play tennis or something like this, um, that kind of helps them to get their body moving in order. And then we're just playing catch, and then we kind of change it to um, a golf catch kind of a game. Uh, <clears throat> I So I just, I really try to... Um, talk with my students, let them come up with imagery or let them come up with a drill or a kind of a game that might make sense to them. Um, see what mm-hmm. they, what, what's, what is a reference that they have that might make more sense than the one that I'm giving them. So, um, you know, it, sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes golf is a frustrating game. Learning uh, is frustrating. But I think what's important is you know, at times you, you might want to refer a student and say to somebody else, and go, well, try working with them if, if uh, it doesn't seem to be working between us. But for the most part, I just really um, try to be in tune and communication and creative and try a variety of approaches until whatever it is we're working on starts to make sense. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. And, and, you know, as Bill had mentioned before, too, I mean, obviously, and, and um, I admit that I'm sort of fall into this category as well, is I'm a visual learner. So for me to plunk a, a you know, a book or, or something in front of me, I certainly read books, but, you know, I find it easier when I engage, uh, if you will, into visual mode. So when I'm even reading a book, I will visualize in my head what's going on. I'll create the scene and then things sort of compute a little bit better for me. So I think you're right. I think trying different things, because as we all know, um, Bill and Jamie, that, you know, everybody learns in different ways. And sometimes it's a combination of multiple, uh, you know, disciplines, if you will. And sometimes it's one or the other. So, you know, you really have to, as, as Bill pointed out earlier on the show, is you really have to, you know, ask those questions early on and really sort of listen to the student to get a better perspective of what it is that they're looking to do, but also um, what their level of understanding is. And that doesn't mean that they, they don't understand anything, but it's just that sometimes we can um, confuse the, the, the process by getting too technical in our jargon. Sometimes it's just a simple demonstration can get the message across just as effectively. All right, Bill, I'm going to bring you well, back in uh, here. Ted, Ted, Ted yeah, I, just, sorry, go ahead. I wanted to say – I wanted to say one thing. The LPGA for years has been very, very strong on what they term the student-centered model. And what that means is um, is to be very aware and to even do some different kinds of um, kind of on-the-spot, uh, checking things out, sometimes using uh, different kind, you know, Myers-Briggs or different kinds of um, assessment tools to get a sense of what a person's strengths are, what a person's learning style is, and always to be student-centered. Um, which is to be very tuned in to what the student is responding to, what the student says. Um, you know, right from the beginning, I can remember some of my early training in the LPGA, we would uh, be taught to pay attention to, for example, how they have their clubs in their golf bag. 
are they in little compartments? Are they very organized and, you know, very clear about that? I always put my club back in the same place, which would re, uh, may reflect a person who likes to be very organized and very step-by-step -step in the way that you communicate with them, as opposed to someone who just right. kind of puts their clubs, you know, where it's convenient. And uh, they may have um, a different or maybe more of a feel approach to things. So there's a lot of different ways to get that kind of information, but it's just so important, I think, as a teacher to keep that, that student-centeredness in our approach. Right. You're exactly right. And I think that doing, as you pointed out, doing a good assessment up front to understand uh, some of the students' needs and, and, and how they um, understand is, is a great starting point. Well said. Um, Bill, I want to bring you back in. Uh, I've got a, another question I'm going to ask both of you, but um, I'm going to turn it back over to you here, Bill. Um, obviously, there becomes a, a turning point, if you will, as a professional, um, maybe a defining moment in your career uh, when everything sort of gelled and, and came together. Obviously, as, as you pointed out earlier, and, and as we all know, it's a continual journey and a, con a continual learning uh, curve, if you will. But earlier on, when we're first um, sort of out there as teacher professionals, it's a little bit trial and error. We're trying to experiment to find what works for us and, and you know, what sort of comes together. Was there a specific turning point for you as a professional uh, or, or, as I said, a defining moment in your career um, when you realize that, you know, everything's starting to come together? I'm, I'm kind of getting into that flow, if you will, and I'm understanding how to work better with my students. Was there a point uh, in your career uh, or maybe several points? You know, that's a great question, Ted. And I think, to be quite honest with you, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And I learn something from every lesson. You know, I get something new from people, their perspective. And, you know, as Jamie was saying, being very um, student-centric and being very aware of their needs. And I, I really, I can't really point at one situation, but I can, uh, you know, I can look at a lot of things that I've uh, had the ability um, and the uh, time and the, and the focus on with a lot of players that I've seen their success come at a very rapid pace. And I take that, um, you know, it's a huge compliment when, when people have worked with other players and they come to me and, man, you make it seem so simple. Instead of adding things, you're taking them away and giving us focus of what to play um, to make our play better. I think that's the biggest thing. I really don't know if there was one um, watershed moment or anything like that, but I, I just think it continually happens that you understand and, you know, you empathize with players and, and you really can help them get better on a, on a daily basis. And I think that's really, to me, is, is the, the turning point. It's every day that I know, you know, walking out on that tee, I don't go out there to just, you know, try to put in the time. I go out there to be excellent and help players play their best. And, you know, it, it seems to work. And, you know, every day it just seems more and more satisfying. Yeah, great point. Um, you know, very quickly, and, and then, Jamie, I'm going to give you a chance to, to respond as well and answer to that question. You know, how I look at things, for me, a, a turning point is when I become more focused on the student and not uh, pushing an agenda. And what I mean by that, and I'll give you an example, you know, quite often, you know, especially early on, and I hear this quite a bit, actually, with, with some of the younger instructors out there who have you know, gone and taken maybe a number of courses and, uh, you know, they've got their certification, they're out there and they're building their business or their brand or what have you. And quite often what happens is they're focusing under their own agenda. And what I mean by that 
is they're not really necessarily listening to what the student wants, but maybe pushing a theory or something like that. And I think that often happens early in our careers. I think, you know, we're trying to sort of prove ourselves and get out there and, and do what we can and we want to be successful at it. And quite often we're not always listening as much uh, in the very beginning. And I think as time goes on and we become more seasoned uh, professionals and, and start to understand that it's the other way around, it's really um, servicing and handling the player's needs or the student's needs, if you will, and not so much running our own agenda. And I think for me, that was something that fortunately for me, I learned very early on um, was that, you know, I'm there to help guide and direct that individual um, to be able to, um, you know, accomplish the, the goals and the tasks that they've set for them, um, but on their timetable and on their um, course, if you will, and not try to push a theory or something onto them uh, in order to fit them into a mold, what I perceive to be, um, you know, a great golfer or not a great golfer. So I think sometimes understanding that difference, and you'd be surprised at how many, I, I mean, I watch uh, a lot of stuff online. I see a lot of videos. I see a lot of, um, you know, teaching platforms that where they're coming in with a specific theory or agenda and sort of pushing that along. And it may be uh, a great concept for some people, but it's not something that you can sort of come across with, with a broad stroke. So you have to be careful and mindful of that. And I think that's something that I've learned as I've developed and continued on through, through my journey and my career. Um, Jamie, what about you? A, a turning point for you as a professional, a uh, defining moment perhaps in your career where you felt things were, um, as I pointed out, sort of coming together for you? Well, again, I don't know that it's uh, been exactly a defining moment, but um, I think about a couple kind of formats that um, I really enjoy using to teach, and they're different. They're they're very different, but um, it's been so much fun for me to uh, to work with them both and to see the kind of response that happens. One of them is uh, it's short, 10 to, 10 to 15 minute lessons. And we uh, do them if, with the LPGA at a lot of the tour events, and um, it's called the lesson zone. And so we just have a short time with each student. And in that amount of time, the challenge is to watch the person, listen to the person, zone in on what is one thing that could really help, and how can I communicate that, work with the student about that one thing that they want uh, to improve at, give them a drill that's going to make a difference, and have them walk away going, Wow, that was amazing. That was like one of the best lessons. <laughs> and um, so I, um, I think that I have uh, become quite good at doing that. Um, a lot of us have actually the LPGA teachers because it's such a, such a great challenge and it's one where you really have to tune into the student. Um, so that's been a lot of fun and has, in a sense, helped me to absolutely hone my swing analysis abilities, my communication abilities, and to have a tool bag of drills or exercises, whatever, that um, I can pull from to, to help someone and let them walk away feeling really like they got a lot in a very short time. On the other side of that, um, something that I've developed and really enjoy working with is where I'll have a day um, or three-quarters of a day with one, two, three, or usually um, yeah, six students. So, you know, be like one or two groups of uh, foursomes or, you know, three foursomes. And in that day, we start out with, uh, with some really interesting um, I, sort of my energy fundamentals, understanding that part of the game and, uh, and that part of even the fundamentals of golf. So really getting a sort of energetic structure about things. 
and then going into uh, warm-ups and fitness, uh, working on every aspect of the game, putting, short game, full swing. So we really do a lot of sort of range work and practice work all morning, and then it's out on the golf course to go play. And lunchtime is a working lunch where we're really going through and going over in an individual way some of the things we've been working on, how that's um, computing and making sense for each individual, and then getting out on the golf course and playing and uh, with a playing lesson, being able to take all those skills and start working with them on the golf course. So those are two really different scenarios. But for me, those are both sweet spots, I would say, in terms of um, making a difference with students. And that I, I find that I enjoy and a lot of my own teaching skills and creativity comes into play. Very interesting. I like that. Um, and, and, you know, it just goes to show, I think, as we, um, you know, develop along, as I said, in our own journey, you know, um, we, we begin to um, learn ourselves you know, Paul, you, or uh, sorry, Bill, you mentioned this uh, earlier, you know, um, that you learn each time you're, you're out there on the golf course with your students, you're learning something new each and every time. And that sort of then becomes ingrained into your wheelhouse and gives you an opportunity um, when that scenario may come up again with another student, um, gives you some opportunities or some options uh, or additional um, options, if you will, uh, to present to to a new student, so um, I think it is good that we're we're always learning, and I think that you know, sort of assessing ourselves each season um, is is a great opportunity for us to look at how we can do things differently, um, the same, or maybe even better uh, as we uh, again progress through our own journeys. Um, I want to end with this question here, obviously, as we're getting ready, um, as, as both of you know, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up a season here on Coach's Corner. I've got just a couple of shows left, and this will be the last for, for you guys for this season, and, and uh, we'll be getting ready uh, for next year in a little bit. But um, I want to give you an opportunity, and Bill, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, as you get ready to transition into another year, you're sort of winding down. Uh, now, I know you're down in Florida right now, and and uh, going to be working through the winter months, so you're certainly not coming to a screeching halt, but uh, obviously you're going to work down here with, uh, with your students, um, but you're going to be coming into uh, a new season, uh, if you will, in 2020. Um, what's next for you? Are there things that you're planning for next year to maybe do differently or change um, that uh, you're looking forward to? Ted, the, uh, one of the biggest things is... Um the expansion of our U.S. Kids Academy at Balmoral Woods. We were one of the first nine academies um, that they uh, that they uh, had set up. And uh, with our partnership, I'm actually bringing on an assistant, Cody Ward, this coming year to uh, to help out with that and uh, to help build all of our coaching product products and uh, programs and really emphasize more with the the junior elites. We're going to have a little bit more exposure with them with some more college exposure um but also bringing in some more um wedge universities putting universities and driver universities with our uh with our regular play that's actually starting down here in florida plus i'm also going to be initiating some power camps with an old friend of mine michael michaelides who's a long driver he, he was on big break uh, mesquite and a longtime old friend and both of us are over six foot four, we're some big fellas, so we're it's called Big Man Golf, and we're going to work on some uh, some uh, power camps and uh, help people look at an aspect of the game 
that often gets forgotten. You know, we always talk about hitting it better, but really most people want to hit it further. And I think that's something that's very exciting that's going to be coming up in the in the next five weeks or so and uh, getting that started. And, you know, it's always a, a masterful way of finding new things to keep people excited about golf. And that's the thing that I love the challenge of. It's you have to master that art to find things that keep people excited about the game. Very interesting. Uh, that sounds definitely uh, uh, an interesting platform and, and very exciting for, for the new year. Uh, Jamie, what about you? What have you got, uh, you know, as you look and tra- get ready to transition into a new year, um, what things have you got um, that maybe you're going to look at doing differently or expanding on what you're currently doing? Well, first of all, I just have to say I'm still smiling thinking about big man golf <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and some of the things. <laughs> it's just a great image. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind, would be so fun to meet uh, with you guys in some way, um, because I teach a lot coming from the Aikido and uh, energetic point of view uh, about how power isn't necessarily related to size. And um, this is related to technique, it's related to, uh, for me, sequencing, order, um, uh, a, a good solid base, a, good, a lot of connection and balance in the golf swing and, you know, these kinds of things. So, um, and that anybody really can develop their own power and sometimes beyond what seems to be their physical size. And what really is the nature of power is, is a good question. And I always uh, like to work with people on discovering the sources of power in their body in their body mind connection and then in their golf swing so um i think that's just a, a great thing um so i've been doing a lot of work um uh, first of all i'm writing a book and uh, a lot of my time is going to be needing to be devoted to getting this book written and it's about golf and business and life so um you know, that's going to be a focus for me, in the, at least in the first part of the year. We'll see how long it, it takes to get that book really written and out there. Um, and I'm excited about it. And I've been uh, working with within the sort of business and golf um, space, shall we say, because I do quite a bit of corporate speaking around um, leadership development, managing stress. And I'm really excited about stress management um, in, in many situations, and uh, particularly for golfers, because one of the things golfers try to do frequently is kill the ball and then they beat themselves up. And um, it's really kind of working with a different approach to that. Um, And so uh, developing uh, more stress management skills with with golfers is something I'm I'm very excited about. And um, also building up the skills and the presence of women in golf and in business and leadership. So those are a couple um, strong areas that I'm, I'm very focused in. I also continue to work on getting out uh, that more holistic mind-body approach, fitness, swing patterning, the kinds of things I've been working on. But I see that, um, you know, they're as needed as ever, (laughs) shall we say, and they make as much and more difference as ever. So I continue to be, uh, shall we say, a spokesman and a teacher for that. Very good. Well, it sounds like both of you have uh, a lot of exciting plans for the 2020 season. And uh, I want to thank both of you for uh, all that you've done to contribute to not only this season, but uh, past seasons here on the Coach's Corner panel. And as uh, guests from time to time uh, on the show, I appreciate it very much. If you're giving of your time, I know it's not always easy having to uh, rush home from the golf course or or, uh, when you've got other commitments to be able to squeeze the show in. So I appreciate that very much. And I look forward to both of you you coming back and 
and uh, hopefully joining in on the 2020 season here uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, very quickly, I'll, I'll go in reverse order here. Jamie, if you want to just let the folks know if they're interested in uh, reaching out to you and, and connecting with you, how they can go and do that, and then Bill. Uh, best way is my website, which is kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I, kiigolf.com. Jamie, J-M-I-E at kiigolf.com is a great way um, via email, um, certainly Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm uh, very present on both of those. Uh, Facebook is both my uh, personal page, but also the Kiai Way and Kiai Golf page. So those are good ways. I also actually um, answer my phone and reply to voicemails. <laughs> I really enjoy talking to people. I'm a sort of audio verbal type. So uh, my phone number is 760-492-GOLF, G-O-L-F, uh, 4653. And I uh, really enjoy connecting with people. So um, feel free to email me, call me, uh, find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. Those are really good, great ways. Very cool. Thank you very much, Jamie. And, and Bill, what about yourself? Best way to reach you and, and um, connect? Yeah, easiest way is um, through my website, BillAbramsGolf.com. I also have a Facebook page at BillAbramsGolf.com, Twitter, at Bill Abrams Golf and uh, on Instagram as well, it's at Bill Abrams Golf and uh, phone number is 630-926-4554. And uh, I'll be available in Florida through mid-April and then back in Chicago uh, 1st of May. Very good. Well, again, guys, thank you very, very much uh, for all that you have done to, to bring your, your talents and your expertise to the show. I know the audience enjoys it. And uh, I look forward to uh, having you guys come back again. Uh, so on that note, I want to wish you the very best for the holiday season. Uh, much continued success in 2020 as well. And again, thank you very much uh, for all you've done to uh, help keep this show um, in, in uh, a great, uh, great company. Well, thank you, Chad. Thank you, Bill. My apologies again for being late. But yep. I'm very glad to join you and uh, wishing everybody a very happy new year and a lot of great golfing. Yep. Thanks all so right. much, thanks. Ted, for having us this year and really appreciate it. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Uh, all right, that was uh, two of the Coaches Corner panel, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron and Bill Abrams, uh, joining me live here on the Coaches Corner panel. And as I get ready to welcome tonight's uh, special guest, Meredith Kirk, I just want a, a quick reminder, a thank you, if you will, to uh, golfswing.com, uh, the sponsor of the Coaches Corner panel this season. And here's just a short little clip. Uh, take a listen. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, Golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, Golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun and saving money get your fix on demand at golfswing.com all right and remember to go to golfswing.com at the end of the show uh and enter promo code golf talk live uh, at checkout and get 50 percent off the uh, subscription uh, price for their website uh, again go to golfswing.com enter promo code at checkout and get uh, 50 percent uh, savings off the subscription price all right, um, tonight's guest, uh, it's uh, kind of an interesting backstory. Uh, she's been a guest a number of times over the years on this show. 
Um, but I managed to finally get her on this evening. She was actually scheduled two other previous times, and we'll talk about that when she comes on. But let me just uh, remind everybody uh, who she is. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Meredith Kirk. Uh, she's a creative media consultant and nationally ranked LPGA teacher professional. Uh, has been awarded the best young teacher in America multiple years in a row by Golf Digest. A former Miss South Carolina and achieved recognition by uh, Golf Magazine as being selected as a top innovator in golf for her creative development of a national nonprofit junior golf program that provided uh, fitted golf equipment to uh, the youth. Uh, she's also been featured in Sports Illustrated uh, Golf.com as the most beautiful woman in golf and appeared on national radio, cable, and television programs, including the Golf Channel. Please welcome my very special guest, Meredith Kirk. Good evening, hey, Meredith. Hey, how are you doing? I, I'm it's doing very good. Finally be on, oh, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're both excited to talk to each other because it was twice now that uh, we've tried yeah. to arrange this, and then we had a hurricane, and so it's so good to be on the show and to hear your voice. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, uh, if I remember correctly, I think the first time was was back in September, and if I remember correctly, I had run into some technical issues and had to actually cancel on you. Uh, and then October, uh, we had you rescheduled uh, a few, uh, you know, a few short weeks later. And of course, uh, you had a hurricane uh, blowing your way, so you had to, unfortunately, and, and rightly so, had to uh, to withdraw. So we managed to. Uh, rearrange and, and get you on before the season ended. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you. Uh, uh, I'm glad we were able to do that. All right. I want to start sure. off tonight. Yeah. I want to start off tonight uh, with you um, talking about a few things actually that I talked about just prior to you coming on this evening uh, with the guys on the coaches corner panel. Um, I, I think there are some interesting questions and I'd like to get your perspective on it. And first, I think mm -hmm. foremost, uh, I want you to sort of reflect back on 2019, if you will, uh, and remember some of your best moments as a professional? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I taught a lot in 2019. Um, I have just had, I have amazing students. I really have to say I have amazing students. And, you know, I, I feel like um, as a coach and as an instructor, uh, I'm growing a lot. I'm always learning. Um, you know, we never arrive um, to, to knowing everything about the golf swing and, and helping others learn the game. But I would say uh, this year is a highlight for me personally. And I would have to say it's my confidence instructing. Um, I think I struggled for a couple years, especially after I won Mrs. South Carolina with, uh, you know, people maybe making comments like, oh, come on, you know. A beauty queen, you know, golf instructor, you know, um, I came across a, a few comments online that, you know, just kind of uh, hurt my feelings, so to speak, a little sensitive to, and, you know, I tried to ignore it, but I think it somewhat affected um, my teaching to a degree for a period of time. I felt like, wow, you know, this is how I'm kind of getting labeled as an instructor. And, uh, you know, people didn't realize that I taught for many years prior to winning Mrs. South Carolina. And I really feel like this past year I have my confidence back and it, it mm -hmm. feels really good. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you raise a valid uh, point. I think a lot of people look at that unfairly and judge you based on, you know, something that you chose to do for a personal reason and, you know, not to really draw attention to yourself for, 
um, your own selfish reasons, but it was actually for, um, and, and we don't need to get into all the specifics, but you know, it was actually really for a good cause and it was something that you wanted to do. Um, and, and I can understand how that would certainly have uh, an unfortunate negative effect for you. Um, you know, and, and as I've told you, you know, in conversations before, you, you've got to learn to drown out uh, mm-hmm. some of the negative comments because as you know it doesn't matter who you are i mean i i get them too periodically they'll you know somebody's listened to the show and they didn't like something or whatever and they've got to put their two cents in, and people are always going to do that and, and i think if you you listen or tune into it uh or let it absorb into your your psyche too much it can it can have the effect that obviously it, it had with you for a period of time and i'm glad that you know you've been able to to rise above that and look past that and say you know what that's not going to define me um and and move forward um right. i, I want to also yeah, I want to also talk to you about um, students specifically, and maybe you can give some examples in that. But obviously, you know, every student's different, and, you know, their learning styles are different. Your your teaching is going to be a little bit different from student to student. But mm-hmm. were there some things that you can recall? And you can use this past year as an example if you want right. um, or, or others. It's up to you. But um, that benefited greatly from what you did. So was there, again, sort of a defining moment, if you will, uh, with a student this season that really everything just sort of gelled together and they really got and understood what you were, what you were uh, trying to get across and obviously saw some success as a result? Um, absolutely. I would say um, one thing that comes to my mind, actually, I mean, I, I taught this morning and I was working with a student just this morning on this, and I have worked with this issue um, all year uh, for 2019, but it's really dialing down what clubs are working for you, what clubs are not. You know, I think that um, we kind of, not so much instructors, but maybe beginner golfers coming into the game or intermediate players uh, feel like they have to use all of their clubs. I think it's a misconception. You don't. Um, one thing that I've done with all of my students this year is just really dial down, okay, what clubs and, and distances um, do you like to play with the most? And, and that's one question I was just talking with my student today about. You know, they have the traditional 14 clubs in the bag. And I just said, look, let's, let's get this down to six clubs. Let's pick out your favorite clubs, the clubs that you are most confident in, and let's get really good at playing these particular clubs. And then as you progress and you get more comfortable with your shots, we can always add different clubs, you know, for example, maybe some different wedges or whatnot down the road. But it's really just gaining confidence. I, you know, again, I'm going to come back to confidence. I have felt it personally this year as a coach, but I think my students um, just building their confidence, getting confident in the little things in golf, you know, um, club selection, you know, clubs that you're comfortable with, um, distances that you're really confident, um, you know, maybe you get a good ball dispersion, a tight ball dispersion with a practice session with your seven iron. That's good. Getting really confident with one club, building from there. So that's kind of my theme um, with my students is good course management, good club management, getting confident and just going out there and enjoying the game. Well said. Um, excuse me. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think that you, you have to, Sometimes you have to sort of re-educate the students a little bit. That we, they've, as you said, they've kind of been taught for years, or they've learned for years that you've got to. And, and certainly, there's nothing wrong with having 14 clubs in your bag, obviously. But right. um, sure. focus on on clubs that are going to benefit you the most, or have benefited you the most, and really focus and dial in on those. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll get themselves in a situation where they're not comfortable, and you know, once the wheels sort of fall off the bus, it's very hard for them to regroup and 
and get back on track. So uh, focusing on, you know, a positive thing, I think will help them transition a little bit better. And then, you know, as time goes on, you can kind of add some, you know, extra clubs along the way. But I agree. I think that's a smart move. I, I want to flip it a little bit and go to sort of the opposite. And obviously there's going to be students that, you know, for one reason or another, maybe just didn't get it or you weren't able to articulate what you needed to. Um, and on reflection of a situation like that, is there anything that comes to mind that you could have maybe done differently um, with that particular student um, that maybe could have helped make that a, a little bit easier transition for them? Oh, that's a great question as well. Um, you know, every now and then you come across a student uh, where, you know, obviously if you're a golf instructor, you want to learn the language that the student speaks. You know, are they visual? Are they um, audio? Um, are they very mechanical? They got to get in there and feel and so, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good reader of people and, and you know, what their uh, language is on, you know, how they speak and how they learn. And, and that's one thing that we're trained to do as LPGA instructors in our curriculum, which is a phenomenal cur- curriculum. I, I love being an LPGA instructor uh, because of that. But one thing that I come across is every now and then you get a student um, that, you, you, that you're connecting with and that you're speaking to them in the, in the language that they can learn the game, but yet they can't connect to what you're wanting to improve or modify. And so oftentimes, you know, you want to give drills or tips um, or motioning them out in, in these certain positions, or let's say you're working on takeaway, for example, um, you know, working on some drills with that, and then, but they still can't make that change. There are times as an instructor, I'll walk away from a lesson, and just when I think I'm, I'm actually becoming a great instructor, these students humble me because I walk away and I say, gosh, I feel like they weren't connected. I could tell that they were a little discouraged walking away from the lesson, and, and that, that's really what propels me to be the best instructor that I can be is because it's in that moment that sometimes I'll reach out to them you know, whether it's later in the evening or the, or I'll do a follow-up call just saying, hey, let's, let's go over this again, you know, and maybe come up with some other suggestions um, of things they can do at home, whether it's motioning out, different ideas. But the goal is, you know, you always want a student to walk away with some hope, to walk away with some encouragement, that it is a possibility to, to make these changes. And so, again, every now and then I do come across a student that there is a disconnect and those are the students that, again, motivate me to uh, continue learning and growing and, and to make sure that they're walking away with some hope in their hand on learning the game. Yeah, and, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think that you have to uh, – I look at it this way, is when you're faced with a challenge like that, it creates a learning opportunity for you as an instructor to say, what can I do differently? What you know, what, it's not necessarily what have I missed or what did I do wrong, and I think that's the mistake that a lot make, is mm-hmm. sometimes there's just not the, the uh, proper communication. Sometimes it could be that. Um, sometimes it's, uh, again, not speaking that language um, that that student needs or, or miss, you know, uh, interpreting it. But I think a lot of times it's, it's the, the, the teacher has to look at it from a perspective, okay, I'm going to take this as a challenge for me. Too many give up and say, well, maybe we're just not meant to work together and maybe find somebody else. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that is going to happen. But I think a lot of times we have to look at it and say, I'm going to take this as a challenge because not every student is going to be a perfect student, as we know. 
Um, so I want to ask you this question, and then we're going to talk mm-hmm. about some things I know you're doing. Um, was there a turning point as a professional um, or a, a defining moment, if you will, in your career when you decided that, you know, everything has sort of come together? I mean, obviously you started out in other areas. Um, you know, you were active in, in other sports and things like that. You played uh, golf for a period of time before you transitioned mm-hmm. to teaching. Um, but was there a, a point in your career when you finally felt uh, you sort of had that aha moment? Okay, things are really starting to, uh, you know, come into play. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've, I mean, I have instructed um, since I was 19, and I'm not going to tell you my exact age, but I will say there's a couple decades in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, okay. I love teaching. <laughs> And, and, I lo- and I've always loved um, working with junior golfers, uh, beginner players, and inter- intermediate players, and even elite players. And, you know, you might think that my answer to this might be, oh, when I was 25, you know, I was in my eighth year or seventh year instructing, this happened. But that's not necessarily the case. I have to say, again, going back to a couple years ago, um, after I won Mrs. South Carolina, and I'm still instructing that, you know, the years following that and, and still and now, but I actually had a uh, tour player, um, and I'm not going to say this person's name um, with confidentiality, right. okay. reach out to me and said, hey, you know, I just want to see, I, I want to see, you know, what you're going to give me on my swing. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, wow, this is, this has not happened to me yet. And I uh, remember meeting up with this player and looking at his swing. It was a guy and mm-hmm. did a lot of video analysis, a lot, uh, because they're very technical. Or this, this particular player was very technical and um, actually made a, a small change in his swing, something I noticed that was taking place at, at impact with the club head and, um, or the face of the club, something he was doing. I noticed it with his hands and in his setup. And so um, I made a suggestion and we got some really good results from it immediately. Um, just the, the change in the ball flight, the change at impact, um, his speed, the distance, everything kind of came together and it was really consistent um, throughout that lesson. Um, we met a few more times after that privately and it went really, really well. He got um, just some great gains from that. It was just a small adjustment I made, just something I noticed. And I remember um, when, when I was filming him, I saw it. I just can't describe it. You know, and, and you're an instructor, and I, I know that if there's any instructors listening, you know this feeling when you absolutely know what the issue is. And it's like this confidence. I can't describe it, but it's like I knew he, he had to do something particular in his swing um, at, at address with his hands and, and whatnot. And it was just, it was like an instant change. Uh, we saw instant results. And at that moment, I remember driving home going, you know what, I really am in my calling. This, I, I really know that I know that I know that I'm mm-hmm. doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that I, I am in my calling. And it just boosted my confidence. He, he would later uh, send me a, a couple text messages. I, I haven't met with him again. This was back in, I want to say 2015 and maybe a little bit in 2016. Um, but it sent me a few text messages like, Hey, that's, that, that really worked. Thank you for that. And I think, you know, maybe God sent him into my life to just reassure right. me that I am on the right path. And, and, you know, this maybe is w- one of the areas um, that, that God wants me in uh, as a career. So anyway, that's one experience that comes to my mind. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, what, what's interesting, um, you know, Meredith, is, you know, I, I look at 
and, and you've really talked about this before on the show about your sort of teaching philosophy. Uh, and that is, you know, you don't necessarily subscribe to a specific swing theory or something like that. You're very uh, deeply rooted in the fundamentals of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I think that you enjoy the success that you do is you don't try to, and this is, and I talked about this earlier on the show tonight with, with the group on, on the coaches corner panel. And, and that is unfortunately, I think a lot of, especially younger instructors that are coming up and that, you know, sort of have grown up following one sort of methodology, if you will, or, or one swing theory, and they sort of push that or have their own agenda to push. And I think a lot of times they miss opportunities to really um, shine or show their best because they're trying to put everybody into the same box. And I think by focusing on um, the, the fundamentals of the game and just sort of giving a general overview of the, those mm-hmm. basic fundamentals, uh, I think has, has helped you uh, successful uh, you know, uh, transition, if you will, into what you're doing now. And I want to talk about mm-hmm. something else, and that is the quintessential coach, which you're often mm-hmm. referred to now. Tell us about how that came about, and tell us about what you're referring to when you say quintessential coach. Um, I mean, quintessential really is the, the basic essence um, of something. And uh, with golf, you know, it's the fundamentals. It's the basics. And so I kind of have been labeled now. I mean, people do call me the quintessential. You know, I really like to focus on the essentials. What is the most important aspects of the swing? Stay focused on the fundamentals. Um, Because I have found pretty much any issue in the golf swing, it's connected to a fundamental. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like a doctor, um, you know, diagnosing a patient. You know, what's the root cause of, you know, you're having these symptoms, but what is the root cause and you have to dig sometimes and you have to, to, to peel off those layers. And usually what I like to do is I like to expose the fundamental, what, you know, this issue might be having your swing. What is the fundamental that is connected to that? Let's go for the fundamental first and then work ourselves out from the swing. So I really like to go to the core, the essence of the golf swing, and then work, work out of that. In fact, um, I, I've, I've drawn this really wild diagram. I've never shown anybody. I've actually never even talked about it. So I'm giving you something new here, Ted. But um, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge <laughs> diagram of like somewhat my teaching philosophy on the fundamentals and how it branches out into all these different issues in the golf swing. And I've just, I've kind of built this thing over the last couple of years. I haven't shared it with anyone. Um, I think the first people that I would share it with would be, um, some of the, the women that I look up to um, with the LPGA, you know, the teacher's education program, you know, there's um, some women I really admire. I would definitely have them take a look before I were to go public with it just to make sure I'm right. But um, I'm just kind of right. keeping track on this. And so my confidence is built in the fundamentals of the golf swing. And I think as an instructor, like you said, the younger in- instructors are trying to somewhat niche themselves. And to me, that's definitely territory that I'm not comfortable with um, because you can't go wrong with the fundamentals. And it depends, too, on, you know, your students. Um, I have a lot of students. uh, I have a lot of women. I have a lot of beginners. I have a lot of retirees. And then I have a few elite players that that come and go. And as they get older, college, tour, Q school, you know, know, but I, I can teach all these different groups now. 
it, it, I guess it depends on, on which road you're going down. You know, some of the younger instructors really want to get just all elite players and, and, you know, it, it, it really depends. But I, again, regardless of whether you have an elite player, a collegiate player, you know, or someone coming out of college who wants to go on tour or whether it's the beginner golfer, it's still got to be rooted in the fundamentals, the quintessentials. Um, So that's the program that I'm sticking to. It's the one that I'm most confident in, that I get the greatest success. And that's what I'm always looking at. I always start with my students, no matter what level they're at. I observe them probably for the first um, 10 to 12 minutes of the lesson. And I'm literally studying their fundamentals because that's what we're going to hit first. We clean the fundamentals up first. And then once you clean the fundamentals up, then you go to that next stage and work yourself out from the swing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, that you know, as a, as a, a teacher professional or uh, slash coach, if you will, I think it's important for you to certainly to start there. And, and you raise a very interesting point because, and you're spot on. And the reason why I say this and, you know, one of the, the greatest golfers that ever played this game was, of course, Jack Nicholas. And I remember watching his video. Um, so, of course, I'm dating myself now, too. Uh, golf My Way. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, and in that video, yeah, he talks about how every season when he would come out, that's what he would work on. You know, he didn't work on swing theories or necessary swing mm-hmm. mechanics. He worked on the fundamentals, his grip, his, you know, his stance, his posture and ball position. And he made sure, and those were the, the primary things that he focused on. And he would warm up, and then, of course, he would decide what tournaments he was going to play throughout the year in that, and he'd go out and he'd work on it. But that's what he worked on. Um, and, and obviously the, the, the schedules have changed now. They're playing longer in the season. Back then, of course, they had several months off uh, through the winter months, so he – you know, did other things in that. So that's why he worked on those fundamentals when he came back out on tour uh, each season. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that when you look at our industry, um, certainly we all talk about the fundamentals, but it goes back to the point I made a second ago is where we're seeing a lot of newer instruction coming out. And yeah, they're, they're talking about fundamentals, but they're again sort of pushing a different theory or an agenda, if you will, and they're putting themselves really in a category that mm-hmm. lends to um, not a lot of longevity because, as you know, um, every student is different. And if, you, and if you're teaching one sort of theory or methodology, then you're, you're basically defining yourself as a teacher, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I think if right. you're looking to, to develop longevity, I think you've, you've got to be sort of well-rounded. And, uh, and that doesn't mean you don't look at other opportunities, but if you pitch in your hole yourself, I think into that, I think it causes for a lot of problems. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, right. It's like trendy. So you, it's like having trendy clothes, you know, trendy clothes, they go out of style, you know, they end up not right. working and, and it's, and it's such a temptation for many instructors and golfers um, coming into the game with all these different methods and methodologies. Oh, you know, I'll try this. It, it suddenly becomes like this buffet, like, Oh yeah, this tasted really good. <laughs> Um, but it didn't really taste as good today, so I'm going to try this. And then you end up, it's, it's a dog chasing one's tail on that. Um, there is, to me, again, with, with my philosophy and being rooted in the fundamentals, the quintessentials, that is what builds competence because when you're competing and you're out on the course, it's a game changer mentally because when everything is falling apart, 
and you feel like you're breaking down, you're having, you're, let's say you're having some poor shots, you know, you're getting in your head, you're struggling. We've all been there. That's when right. the fundamentals come in and save you. Because I tell my students, let's say hypothetically, um, yeah, everything's collapsing. You're on the course. Everything is just collapsing on you. At that point, that's when the mental side of the fundamentals are great because you can trust the fundamentals. Fundamentals don't fail. So if you have a solid fundamental pre-shot routine, at this point when you're walking into the shot, you, don't, you can say, you know what? I can trust my fundamentals. I, you know, I'm picking my target. I'm aiming the face. I'm aligning my body. I'm getting in that athletic position. All right, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting my hands on the grip in the proper position. I have, a, I have an easy grip pressure. You know, you're going through your little checklist. The checklist, the pre-shot routine, is a safety net. And when you're rooted in the fundamentals, it is your safety net mentally out on the golf course. I've had so many students tell me that. Being, you know, learning the fundamentals the right way and building pre-shot routines around the fundamentals, it saves them when they're out competing. Yeah, and, and you know something else, too, that, that, that brings up, Meredith, is by doing that and, and, as you said, implementing it through a solid pre-shot routine, it saves you a lot of aggravation out in the golf course. And my point is this, how many golfers get out there and they get on that first tee and instead of going through a pre-shot routine, they're thinking of some theory that they're trying to work out or they're right. thinking of, you know, I got my arm is tucked in this way or my elbow is over here. <laughs> and right. ultimately what ends up happening is they've got about, you know, five or ten different swing thoughts. Whereas if you've built it on the fundamentals of golf, um, when you go through your pre-shot routine, you're ready to hit. You're not thinking about exactly. anything else. And, right. and that's what ends that's up exactly causing right. it, right? And I mean, that's what ends up causing a lot of golfers' frustration is – they're trying to remember, um, you know, all these different uh, techniques in their head, and they're not really focusing on uh, some of the, the, the core basics. And, and again, you know, what, what always puzzles me is when you look at, um, again, a golfer like Jack Nicholas, who that's basically what he built his game on uh, was the mm -hmm. fundamentals, why would you want to start introducing a bunch of other variables to change when the arguably one of the best golfers in the world didn't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make exactly. any sense. So why, why, why would you want to do that? Uh, it's meant to be fun and enjoyable. And the problem that we've created, unfortunately, in this industry is that people um, in some cases have stopped enjoying it because it's become too confusing. So I think the simpler we keep it and, mm -hmm. and basically just teach the basics. And then if they want to go out and experiment and, and and be creative in their golf shots that's one thing but to change the overall underlying theory if you will of, of working on fundamentals um I, I think is a mistake and i think what you're doing is is right um so well done i know that yeah. you've uh, got a lot yeah you're welcome you've got a lot of other things that you've you've been working on over the years you've uh, put out a number of books i know your skills uh, drills was one book that you put out a little while back um mm -hmm. how is that doing have you got some more stuff in in the uh, irons in the fire if you will uh any new books coming out that you're getting ready to, to put to, uh, out on on market um i have some ideas of something i'd like to put together uh this year uh this year coming up 2020 i have a lot of students that have really enjoyed the skill drills and they want me to create um, a drill book 
for out on the course, you know, unique, unique lies and different situations that could come out on the course. So um, I've written down um, a lot of different uh, drills and tips that I would like to put together this next year and just kind of continue, um, you know, writing the back of skill drills, but just with a, with a different addition, um, applying different types of uh, drills to different situations on the course. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something uh, in the works. Very good. Well, when you're ready to do that and, and make it official, um, we'll have you back on. We'll do it outside of hurricane season, of course, to make sure that we yeah. have no, uh, no issues to deal with. But uh, we'll, we'll work it out in your schedule. Let's talk about junior golf a little bit. I know that you've been um, somewhat of an ambassador, really, for junior golf. You came out with um, something a, a number of years ago. In fact, one of the first years I had you on the show. Uh, you actually developed a, uh, a, a, non, a non-profit, if you will, uh, for junior mm-hmm. golf to help those that maybe didn't have an opportunity to play because they didn't have access to equipment. Tell us about how that, uh, first off, tell us what the pro- uh, program is and uh, is that something that uh, you're still looking to expand or still working on? Um, so that program was called Junior Golf Exchange and that was my uh, national platform when I was Mrs. South Carolina. Um, the program is – I'm no longer running that program. However, I'm still helping juniors uh, find sets of clubs. I, I still do that on the side. I have a lot of people that contact me, hey, I need a set. And anytime I find out a junior golfer needs a set of clubs, I will find a set of clubs. I will make phone calls. I will do whatever, even if I have to buy the clubs. we got to get the juniors golf clubs. But I will tell you this. Um, the, the two years that I ran this program nationwide oh, – we really brought attention on a national platform to the issue of kids not having fitted golf clubs. That's the key, fitted golf clubs. You know, there's a lot of people that um, donate golf clubs to different junior programs, which is great, and it's, it's so kind and generous that people do that. But um, one of the issues that I was seeing, because I was running a diff- different junior programs, one of them being PGA Junior League when it was in its grassroots was, you know, people were donating clubs, but they were adult clubs and they did not fit the junior golfers. And there's just, obviously they're not fitted. And so I I kept seeing this issue come up and I thought, you know what, we need to draw some attention to this and we need to make sure that kids have fitted golf clubs. So um, I had an amazing team of people, board members on the uh, junior golf exchange. In fact, um, uh, one of the ladies that she was uh, vice president of the junior golf exchange, uh, her name is Paige Cribb. Uh, she's amazing, but she's actually, I believe, she is the first female um, secretary of the PGA of the Carolinas now. So she's really just um, done amazing things uh, in the golf industry. Her career is just really growing. But um, not just Paige, but I had a number of people helping me. So it definitely was not a one-man show, just amazing people coming together. We were able to get dozens and dozens and um, dozens. I can't even still calculate the number of sets of clubs that we got out those two years that the program was running. But more important than that was the national attention uh, that we received for the program. So that, again, was my platform for Mrs. South Carolina. That's why I ran for um, and competed for Mrs. South Carolina and then went on to um, Mrs. America, um, because I wanted to draw attention and that it, it was amazing because I won and we were able to gain so much national attention. And then what happened after that was we looked at, um, 
doing the trademarks and really expanding Junior Golf Exchange, but there's some issues with that because really the program was so simple that anybody could do it. So we really had to right. come to the decision, do we, do we keep do we keep running this program and, and go through all these trademarks and really put a lot of money into getting it out there and all these courses nationwide, which we had a lot, but really, really take it to that next level. Well, we looked at it and we thought, you know what, really anybody could do this. I spoke with um, pros at so many courses across the nation and they're like, you know, Meredith, this is a great program. And we want to be part of Junior Golf Exchange, but you know what? We can basically run the same program at our course. So we came to a conclusion um, as a board for Junior Golf Exchange that, you know what, mission accomplished. I mean, we we accomplished so much in those two years that so many different golf courses now have programs like Junior Golf Exchange after I was Mrs. South Carolina. So I think that was the coolest part about it. It's like, you know, when you go into a project, you you know you have these expectations of course i wanted it to um kind of be stamped and trademarked everywhere but what i didn't realize is that whole time you know i'm trying to get courses on board and courses were coming on board and we were growing but i really didn't take in all the national attention that we were getting and and still now to this day you know on the news i hear about you know getting fitted golf equipment and i'm like man i did not hear that a lot prior to when I won Mrs. <laughs> South Carolina. So I feel like maybe that that year that um, I felt called to do that, I feel like maybe I planted a little seed. At least I hope so. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the response that I've gotten back from it is that there was a seed planted. And, and if that was my only job, to plant the seed and to serve the children that we did for those 24 months and spread the word, then, um, then I just pray that the water is continually to, uh, pouring on that particular seed and that it continues to grow. Well, I, I agree with you. A job well done. And you know what? Sometimes that's really all you need to do is just sort of plant that seed. And, and you're right. I think it makes a lot of sense once the momentum gets going. Um, you know, you were able to show where there was a, a definite void in the golf industry. And, you know, as I pointed out at the beginning, I mean, you entered into the Mississippi, South Carolina, really for for unselfish reasons, and that was really to draw attention to a cause that that you firmly believed in, and you succeeded in doing that. And um, ultimately, you went on through a lot of obviously a lot of hard work and and uh, trial and error, were able to um, address an issue in the golf industry where really a lot of junior golfers that would like to play don't have access because they don't have properly fitted clubs. So you were able to encourage um, many people in the industry to say, Hey, this is an area we need to focus on. It's great at drawing junior golfers out there, but uh, you know, not everybody is in a position to afford, um, you know, uh, the proper equipment. And as you said, it's nice that people want to make donations, but you know, uh, having uh, cut down clubs or or clubs that are are ill fitted uh, are are great to have, but they're not really serving the purpose. So you did a, a great job in doing that and, and kudos to you for, for accomplishing that. Oh, um, thanks. And yeah, and I just want to add with that, um, you know, the main driving force behind me doing that was as a coach and instructor and someone who was running multiple junior golf programs, I would see kids cry literally because they could not strike the ball because the club yep. that they were swinging with was not fitted. I literally saw children crying and getting upset, completely discouraged. And it was just 
unacceptable to me. I mean, I just remember numerous times after practice sessions, I'm like, these kids don't have the right clubs. It's so upsetting to see these kids get so excited. They want to hit a good shot. And there is almost an impossibility with some of the clubs that they were using. So, again, um, we, we want to grow the game. We, we want these young kids to, to have fun on the course. I mean, I had so much fun growing up playing golf out in the golf course. But I was fortunate. I had a, I had a, a decent set of clubs that my, my parents were able to give me. But that's not the case for everyone. And if you don't have the right, right. club, more than likely, you're not going to have that much fun out there. And we want these kids having fun. That's how we're going to grow the game. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, you have to be able to provide – um, the equipment as well for these kids to play. And there are many kids out there that obviously don't have the same opportunities that maybe uh, someone like yourself or myself might have had growing up. And um, by making that awareness uh, in the way that you did was, was again, uh, a great job. Uh, I also want to mention, too, and, and give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about this. I know that you also, uh, as I mentioned, you're a, a creative media consultant. You obviously work with uh, some great organizations in helping um, bring awareness to particularly Myrtle Beach area. You work with uh, MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com and MBN.com. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, that is the most fun job ever. I mean, it's different than golf instruction. It's, you know, it's a totally different job. You know, I'm not instructing, but it's creating digital content, golf content, um, to grow the game of golf, to bring people to Myrtle Beach, to play golf. I've been working alongside just collaborative work with Founders Group International. They own and operate 21 golf courses here in Myrtle Beach, a wonderful company. And I've been working with them um, about eight and a half years now, and it has been so much fun. So I get to be their Myrtle Beach golf ambassador, and it's the coolest job ever. I love it. So we get to showcase some of our amazing courses here in Myrtle Beach. I mean, we have almost 100 courses Um basically on a 65 mile coastline, which is awesome. Right. And that's why we are the golf capital of the world. I mean, we have so many golf courses here and we have some amazing courses and golf courses for everyone. I mean, not every golf course is the same here in Myrtle beach. Um, so we just promote our golf courses. We encourage people to get out and come play golf. We offer programs in the summer where junior golfers 16 and under could come out and play golf for free, for free. We're talking at some premium courses here in Myrtle Beach. I love that. So it's just um, this role that I have with Founders Group International, it, it's such a blessing because I get to do what I love. I get to showcase this, this wonderful area, showcase golf courses, but also grow the game of golf. And that's a huge initiative with this company. And I'm just honored uh, to be on board with them. It's just so much fun. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're exactly right. Uh, you know what I like about what you're doing is, you know, you're you're not only teaching the game to a variety of levels of students, um, but you're also making it aware um, that there's a lot of great things happening in the Myrtle Beach area uh, besides the beach. I mean, obviously that's a, a great thing, but there's a lot of great golf out there. And for people that have played golf or are in the golf industry, they're familiar with Myrtle Beach. But for somebody that's maybe new to the game that doesn't know a lot about it, um, it's a great opportunity really for you to share that experience with them and say, hey, we've got a lot of things going on here in Myrtle Beach. Golf's one of them. We've got some fantastic properties. Obviously, I've been to Myrtle Beach many times, and I know they've got mm -hmm. some great courses there. Like you said, 65 miles uh, and 100 golf courses, that's uh, that's a lot of golf in, in a small uh, <laughs> geographic 
area like that. So you, yeah, you're 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 quite right. Um, but uh, and you've done a great job. I've obviously have seen a number of the videos that uh, that have been posted on on both sites and and uh, other areas that uh, uh, on social media. But um, you do a great job, and you're a great ambassador for them. So I'm, oh, I'm not surprised that you've been with them for eight years. Um, and you're also a brand ambassador with Callaway Golf and Antigua Apparel. Talk a little bit about that. Oh yes. Well, I have been with Callaway. Um, for about, I would say, seven to eight years, and I love their equipment. Um, you know, I'm still playing with the Epic. I have not switched uh, to the follow-up driver, the, the newest one. I haven't. I'm just with the original Epic. I love it. And so I, I'm kind of just sticking to what works right now. But um, Callaway is great, and Antigua. Uh, I wear Antigua um, pretty much. If you if you watch me on our Facebook lives at nbn.com or a lot of the uh, work I do with uh, MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. I'm always wearing Antigua, and um, I just appreciate them. They have a wonderful uh, president of that company. He is extremely generous, and um, not just with myself, but um, the, the tour players and um, other teaching pros. And, you know, it's a great company, great clothing. They have some really super cute stuff, and so it's a lot of fun um, doing some work with them and promoting Antigua because they really do have some – uh, great golf lines for clothing, and uh, I don't like to get, you know, especially in hot weather, their clothing line, um, the summer stuff that they have, I love. It's, like, all breathable and, sun, like, um, it's got, like, um, SPF. Some of their clothing has SPF, which is amazing, and, you know, I, I try to take good care of my skin, and I'm always encouraging golfers and maybe someone listening to get your skin checked. If, if you're a golfer, Make sure you get like yearly checkups with your skin and wear um, sunscreen, mineral-based sunscreen, and apply it every um, hour and a half, two hours. Um, I'm really pushing that this past year too. People taking care of their skin. I have um, a few friends, colleagues that have got diagnosed with um, skin cancer just from being having a lot of exposure in the sun. And um, you can get sun cancer in some in some unique places. It's not always on the areas of your body that that you get the most sun on, but you just, you know, you got to be care, you got to be careful out there in the sun, but you know what? It, it, you know, it feels good to look good. And sometimes I feel like I play my best golf when I like, like my outfit and the clothes. So I love Antigua because when I go out there, I feel good. And, and I just pray I can play good. <laughs> That's right. You got to look good first and then uh, you got to work on the playing. That's right. Um, I, right. I want to give you an opportunity. Yeah, I want to give you an opportunity, Meredith, to talk about. And I don't know if there's still availability for this or not. Uh, but you got a, a very a special opportunity uh, in early spring uh, for some folks if they want to join you at really one of the um, premier resorts in uh, United States of America, up in uh, White uh, Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and that's at the uh, Greenbrier. Talk about that opportunity. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited about this trip. Okay, it is April 16th through the 19th, 2020, and I have teamed up uh, with World Golf and Travel, and we're hosting this golf school at this beautiful destination. I cannot be more excited than this. It's it's going to be so much fun. Um, we're going to have four rounds of golf, golf school in the morning prior to play, and we're going to be um, just focusing on the fundamentals. I'm going to be teaching quintessential coaching for four days, and it's going to be so much fun. And I, I can't wait 
to personally get out there and play these courses. Um, I'm doing a lot of on-course instruction as well. But it's not just the golf. Like, I love the aspect of going out and having some fun after golf. We have some uh, really fun things planned at the resort, and we're going to have dinner together. We're going to have breakfast together. I love connecting with people. I'm such a people person. I love fellowship. Um, You know, I'm not just there to instruct. You know, I'm there to really get a chance to connect with students, get to know um, new students. I already have some students that I work with that are uh, planning on going on this trip, but um, we welcome new students as well. Just, you know, come on this trip, have fun. Uh, It's a great chance to, to meet new people. And, you know, Golf is America's pastime. I mean, this is, it's such a great sport to connect with people, build relationships. Uh, it, you know, I have so much fun just getting out in the golf course and just talking to my friends out there. You, you can lose yourself in golf, which is, which is the beauty about it. You know, if you're not out there competing and you just want to get out in nature and just de-stress, I mean, it's so much fun. And I want all of my students uh, to have that experience, you know, it's not a pressure trip. It's not a performance trip. Um, you're going to get a lot of great information if you go on this trip, but it's not going to be overwhelming. That's the last thing I want. You know, I feel like I have so many students that come from different golf schools and they just get so much technical information. It's just, they're so overwhelmed. They're exhausted. They're sore. That's not the goal of this golf school. We are only going to have about an hour and a half to two hours of teaching in the morning. And that's it. We're out hitting the links, having fun, laughing, eating good food, and just taking it one bite at a time with the game of golf. Yeah, and what a what a beautiful resort, too, to go. Greenbrier, of course, is very well known here in the United States. And if you haven't had an opportunity to just uh, get a visual of just how beautiful it is, uh, you can visit Meredith's uh, website, MeredithKirkCoaching.com, and right on the front page there is – uh, obviously an introduction to uh, this particular uh, opportunity and uh, right smack dab in the top uh, of the website, of course, is the picture of the Greenbrier. So uh, very beautiful photo and uh, lots of uh, great fun. And, and you're right. You're exactly right. I think you have to have fun and uh, for somebody to go and have a, it's a, it's an overall experience. Uh, you're obviously wrapping it around golf, but it's a great experience and opportunity for somebody that, uh, really wants to elevate their game a little bit, but also just go and have mm-hmm. some fun and enjoy the experience. So I strongly urge and will remind everybody before we uh, we close off tonight. Um, one other thing I, I noticed too um, on your website, yeah. and I know we've talked about this in the past, and I thought maybe uh, if you want to take a, a quick opportunity, but I know you're doing a podcast. You're obviously, we've talked about this as well, called Making the Turnaround. Uh, talk a little bit yeah. about that. Oh, this has been a fun adventure for me. I've always wanted to do a faith-based podcast, something different outside of golf. I mean, obviously, you know, my vocation is golf. Um, But in my free time, I love to read. I love to study my Christian faith and even, you know, went to seminary and graduated um, with a master's degree in theology a couple years ago. And people are like, Meredith, are you serious? Like, that's what you do in your free time. I'm like, yes, I really, really love it. Like, that's what I do in my free time. I just, I love to read. I love reading about um, spirituality. Um, The Bible, I love reading the Bible. I think the Bible is like the great, it is the greatest book of all time because 
I think some people just look at the Bible and it's like, oh, goodness, you know, I, I can't do this. I can do this. It's like they look at it like a rule book. But, you know, I encourage people to, to read the Bible beginning to end. It's such a beautiful – it's a love story. It is a beautiful love story, and it's the greatest love story I've ever read. And I'm a romantic, so I absolutely um, love the Bible. But, um, you know, my, my faith in Christ has really – um, kept me grounded for so many years. I mean, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Oh, I mess up sometimes. I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? But um, it, it really does keep me grounded. And I, I do my best to to try to walk out my faith um, to the best of my ability. But walking out in the faith can be hard sometimes, you know, living in this world and, you know, everything has, it, everything's changed a lot the past decade. You know, America's been through a lot and we're, our culture has changed a lot. And, um, it sometimes it's hard uh, living out the, the Christian life, and so that's what this podcast is about, making the turnaround. You know, I want to give people hope that no matter what situation they're in in life, um, no matter what decisions they've made, um, maybe somebody has done something they regret or, or, or they've messed up and they feel like they, they can't get back on track, um, I, I want to give people the hope that they can because they can. <laughs> Um, and they can they can do that through Christ and, and knowing him. And um, it's it's not this podcast. What it's not is it's not like a Bible thumping podcast. Um, that's that's not the goal of making the turnaround. Um, the goal of making the turnaround is just directing someone on, on how to get on a better path, you know, and just pointing them in the right direction. And that no matter where you've been, what you've done, what, what you've been through, that you can always make a turnaround. Um, you can always get on the right path. And that's what I love about being a Christian is, um, you know, if you mess up, you, you just say, you know what? Okay. Um, I'm going to learn from that and I'm not going to repeat that again. And I'm going to keep moving forward. And I think all of us have to do that. Every single one of us living on earth right now. Um, you know, we're all sinners. We all mess up and uh, we all need that hope that we can keep moving forward. So um, at this point, you know, I, I do the podcast when I feel led. I don't quite keep a certain schedule, but some of, some of the podcast titles that I've done, um, like one is called uh, Get Your Joy Back. You know, how do you get your joy back? You know, we all have moments where we lose our joy. We feel discouraged. W- what can we do to, to get that joy back? Um, and one of them's called You Were Made Before the Foundation of the World. Um, I really believe, I, I really like that podcast because it really sets the tone uh, for all the podcasts that I do because each one of us has a purpose here on earth um, and we're all unique. You know, not one of us is the same. You know, nobody can be me. Nobody can be you, Ted. Um, you know, right. somebody's listening. Nobody can be, I mean, we're all individuals and we all might have some similar likenesses, but we are certainly individuals and, you know, we have breath in our lungs right now because God is choosing us to continue in this life. He, he has a plan. He has a mission. And I feel like, and one thing that's close to my heart is I feel really, um, I feel really bad. My heart goes out to people that get to that point of depression. And and I write about Mm -hmm. that a lot. I've I've written a book about that. um, The Mount Moriah experience, how to get out of depression. My heart goes out to this generation right now that struggles so much with depression and suicide. You know, these big topics that we're faced with in the news every day. Well, what are the issues behind that? I can tell you just through, just through my studies, and I also have a degree in counseling, but, um, and, and through my own experiences, 
that it's the lack of understanding one's purpose and meaning that causes um, one to look inward and not outward. And um, I, I've been there at certain points in my walk, just depressed, you know, and it's somewhat of an inward, you know, but what is the root of that? Well, most often it's not knowing why you're created. And that's one thing that you'll learn in these podcasts, why you were created. There is an answer. I have a podcast. And, and, and if you're wondering that and you're, and you're listening to us right now, you can, you can go to my website and you can click on that and, and you can go straight to that podcast. But um, I really, my heart goes out to the generation right now. I just want to help people know that no matter what situation they're in, that they can get on the right path and really finding your purpose and meaning in life is life changing. It will change your life when you find your meaning and purpose. And, and that first step to finding your meaning and purpose is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your maker, um, your creator. And, you know, I wasn't always a Christian. I wasn't a Christian until I was almost 20. You know, it took me a, a while. And even then, even after 20, when, when I gave my life to Christ, I still had my struggles. Um, I still had some weaknesses in areas that I struggled with, but it, it continued to get better. It, it didn't regress, but my life continued to get better. And I think sometimes um, people can read maybe like somebody's bio, like, for example, somebody could read my bio. Oh, she was Mrs. South Carolina. Oh, she had this award or this award. And, and sometimes I'll read my own bio, and I'm like, gosh, if people only knew what was be- in between the lines of my bio. <laughs> like, it, it really, right, exactly. like, seriously, like, if people only knew what was in between the lines of my bio, I've, bio, I've had tons of struggles, um, tons of hardships, um, things that have come to me that have been unfair things that I've chosen. Um, so it's, you know, life is interesting and um, I, I just love connecting to people, people from every different walk. I don't care who the person is. I love everybody and I love meeting people. And I've even talked, I've even shared this with you, Ted. I know we've, we've talked about this on another occasion. I mean, I even have students that are atheists that I love so dearly and that I'm friends with and we have these awesome discussions, and, and I love them, and, and they respect me and, w- and where I stand. Um, but, you know, my faith is important to me, and it's, it's a, a part of my life that I really focus on when I'm not involved in golf. And I'm just at a stage in my life where I'm getting really comfortable about publicly talking about it. Um, I, I think I told you this as well, Ted, but I had a very negative experience with a tour player in which I will not mention their name, but they said that they were a Christian, but they basically said, you know, don't talk about Christianity. Don't talk about your faith. You'll lose opportunities. You'll lose job opportunities if you do. And then they chose this path and, and they did very well and made a lot of money, um, but they hid their Christianity and it really bothered me. It bothered me for a couple of years and it made me feel like I kind of cowering back from not my faith, but publicly talking about it. And I just woke up one day and I said, enough's enough. That is the worst advice I've ever heard. I am going to talk about my yep. faith. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, um, be a Bible thumper. I'm not a Bible thumper, but <laughs> you know, if the opportunity no. arises, I will certainly let somebody know how, um, imperfect I am, but I found someone perfect, and, and that is Jesus Christ for me. Well said. And, and you know, I agree 100%. I think you have to be your authentic self um, in whatever you do, and you're right. We're, we're all on a journey. We all 
have our ups and downs and our mistakes, but you can't be afraid to be who you are um, because mm-hmm. of, of what somebody else thinks or, or says. And, you know, as I said to you earlier on in the broadcast, you know, you have to be willing to overlook, you know, sometimes, especially if you're somebody that becomes in the public eye, there's always going to be somebody that's going to be skeptical or critical of, of things that you do. But if you're authentic to yourself and you stick to what you uh, feel and believe in and your heart is in the right place, um, then, you know, God will certainly always find a way. And I'm the same as you. I mean, there have been times in the past where, you know, you become apprehensive about um, letting people know that you're Christian and things like that because there's unfortunately been a stigma attached to um, that over the last, uh, you know, probably several decades now. But, you know, I think people to, to recognize that. And I applaud you for, you know, having the courage to come out and do that. And I think it's a, a great, I've, I've listened to, I haven't listened to them all, but uh, I've listened to uh, some of the ones that you've done. And it is a, a great podcast uh, called Making the Turnaround, and it's available where all great podcasts are. So visit uh, Meredith's website, MeredithKirkCoaching.com. Uh, you'll find that there, uh, a list of uh, some of the books, some great video tips as well, and also uh, an opportunity to check out uh, Meredith Kirk's Golf School, if you will, uh, that's going to be held at uh, the Greenbrier in April of 2020. So make sure you check out that. And if you haven't already, uh, register for that and get more information. You can find that on our website. Meredith, I want to take this opportunity. I hate that we have to go. I always enjoy uh, having you on the show. I think you're uh, a great individual, and I applaud um, all the things that you do, and, and I appreciate that we were finally able to connect this year. And uh, I'm going to have you back on. And I know you and I talked about some things that I'm – planning on doing for 2020. I haven't made an official uh, launch yet, but um, I'm going to mm-hmm. be in touch with you about that as well. Uh, I would love to have your input there. So, um, Meredith, yeah, thank absolutely. you again for joining me tonight. And uh, one quick note, how did the basketball go this evening? <laughs> they won. <laughs> they good. won their game. They played great. Yeah, it was a great team. <laughs> Very good. So just to show you that it's not all about golf, there's some other things in Meredith's <laughs> life as well. It's about basketball, uh, too. <laughs> It was uh, exactly. Uh, I know you've got uh, three wonderful sons and a wonderful husband, and I know you've got a great family there, and and uh, you know you're you're all very honored and, and blessed to have one another. Meredith, thank you very much for coming on the show. Again, you're always welcome to be my guest, and uh, I just enjoy our conversations. Keep up the great work. I'll be in touch with you soon. God bless, my dear, and just go out there and, and just keep doing all things that you do. Thank you so much for having me on. We'll stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Meredith. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest this evening, Meredith Kirk. Uh, if you go to MeredithKirkCoaching.com, uh, you can check out all the, the great things that she's doing. As I mentioned, there's some books there that she's uh, uh, put out, and uh, you can find out how to get your, your hot little hands on a copy there. You can find out more about her uh, uh, opportunity at the Greenbrier in April of 2020. There's still uh, uh, opportunities to register for that event. Uh, so you might want to check that out if, if uh, it's within your wheelhouse. And also listen to her podcast, Making the Turnaround, as well, where all great podcasts are, uh, are available, uh, all the, the great social media platforms as well. But uh, if you go to MeredithKirkCoaching.com, uh, uh, you'll get all of the information there, and uh, you can also find out some ways to, uh, to reach out to her uh, personally as well. Um, I want to also take a, this opportunity to thank... Uh, the gang from uh, uh, Coach's Corner panel this evening, Jamie Leno-Zimron and Bill Abrams. Uh, again, our, our uh, heartfelt uh, best goes out to Paul Castor, who was going to join the panel but uh, was not able to, uh, a little under the weather. So 
Uh, Paul, uh, get better, my friend. We'll see you next year. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Golf Talk Live. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm just going to have a couple more shows this season, and then we'll be uh, ending uh, until 2020. And I will uh, tell you more about that uh, in the last uh, couple of shows. But have a great week, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you uh, next time. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.